0: Welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. I'm Pastor Carl McLaughlin from Calvary Pentecostal Church in Euless, Texas. We're located in dallas fort Worth, where 8 million call DFW home. Whether you're tuning in to Sunday or Wednesday's message, we pray that you will find words of encouragement. It is our mission to provide a positive And encouraging voice in the midst of uncertainty. I pray that you will be blessed by today's episode. Hello everyone and welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. We are so happy you're here. This Wednesday we heard from Pastor McLaughlin as he spoke on the island of Patmos. Patmos was the place where John received and wrote the book of Revelation. As we go through times of isolation, we don't want to miss what we are supposed to get on our island of Patmos. We hope you are encouraged by this episode. Prepare to take up the Wednesday night tithing and offering. I uh, called an audible at the line of scrimmage and said that I just wanted to jump immediately into the teaching of the word and so we're going to do that. I would ask the ushers to please prepare We'll take up our tithing and offerings. I'll make a couple of brief announcements and then we'll go into our Bible study tonight. I absolutely love Wednesday nights. Um, it's fast becoming my, my most enjoyable service. Um, I don't know, I just enjoy teaching a lot. And, and I love being with the church family and feel so honored, so very honored. We had a wonderful time away, however, Um, There's always an absence in my heart because I love each one of you so much. And I count it a high privilege and a distinct honor to have the wonderful privilege to serve you all of these years. And I look forward to serving you and I enjoy being in your life. And I thank you for allowing me to be in your life. Um, Very grateful, very grateful. I guess a little bit of nostalgia and just a lot of reflection the last couple of weeks and just feel highly, highly honored. Some of you sent me text messages um, this week and very thoughtful, heartfelt text messages. And I wanna say thank you so much. It means a lot. It means a lot when I receive text messages just like that. And I'm so very, very grateful. Let's pray. We'll pray a blessing over the tithing, the offering, and then we will begin our Bible study. Lord, we love you so much, and we know that you are such a faithful provider to us. And as you supply our every need, we certainly want to give back to you, Lord. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. We trust that. We do not give so that you will give back to us. We give as an act of worship you choose to give back to us Lord we'll just return it right back to you and we'll keep this great relationship going Lord we love you we give you praise in Jesus name amen brethren if you would please come and you may be seated while they are waiting on us Um, I do know that We are doing something brand new this year. Normally we work with Six Stones and we do Night of Hope. In lieu of Night of Hope, we're doing families, feeding families and this is led by the Dolores family. They have many, many people that are assisting them and helping them and what they are looking for from Calvary for sure is quite a few volunteers. And so if you would like to be involved in feeding the community at Thanksgiving, please see Brother Delorge and talk to him and get your name on that list. And it will be an incredible blessing to our community. The goal is 700 to 1000 families. and, And it's going to be an absolutely incredible witness in the city and it will take place right here on the frontage, the two and a half acres that we own. And so we're looking forward to that. Again, I do want to announce this weekend is going to be an absolutely incredible celebration. Um, We're we're going to be at Macy and Donnie's wedding and looking forward to that wonderful time. I text Macy, um, asked her to give me an outline and I wasn't talking about an outline for the next five years of her life. No, she's a very detailed person. I mean, it's like all I wanted was, it. and she's like, bub, 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 like for three days, and I'm like, oh my lord, she's so melancholy, she's so detailed. This is awesome, and uh, and so it was it was incredible. Um, had the wonderful privilege of doing premarital counseling with them, and now look forward to all of that culminating on a beautiful wedding day. I want to talk to you tonight from my heart. As many of you know, I'm teaching a class, some of you may not know, I'm teaching a class right now on eschatology. Um, I taught uh, what is Gog and Magog, who is that, what is that? Uh, That has to do with end times, that has to do with um, the study of future events. And, And because of that, and because I am immersed right now in the book of Revelation and in the book of Daniel, many, many things are emerging from my reading and my study. Um, and this lesson that I'm going to teach to you tonight is something that has definitely emerged out of my study. Um, I'm just going to hit some highlights. I'm just going to share some thoughts that I have from Revelation chapter 1. And, but I have had this on my mind pretty heavily, and I want to share it with you. I'm not going to begin reading a scripture, but I will share quite a few scriptures with you. But here's my subject tonight. Don't miss what you are supposed to get on Patmos don't miss what you are supposed to get on Patmos and someone said to me brother McLaughlin how in the world are we to get something on Patmos when we don't even know what Patmos is (laughs) it's kind of like it's kind of like the man my wife and I were were. I guess leaving or we got to, we got to the the viewing early last night and we pulled up early. So it was like, well, we don't want to walk in this early. And so we drove around the neighborhood there and and there was a guy standing on the corner and he had a sign. And this sign said, turn from your iniquities. And I appreciated deeply what he was doing and what he was saying. But I looked to my wife and I said, baby, 95% of the people driving by have no clue what iniquity means. He may as well say, turn from your sin. And then it, mm, you still might need to define that. Well, the same is probably true with this word Patmos. Um, that's not a coffee shop down the road. Patmos was an island. And you see, you see the shoreline, but then you see almost like an Alcatraz. You know what Alcatraz is. Okay, so picture Alcatraz. Patmos was much like that. It was an isolated place. We have all had our personal Patmos. It's that place where we wonder why. We wonder how. We wonder who. And we wonder when this is going to be over. Without Patmos, there is no book of Revelation. Without Patmos... There is no revelation of Jesus Christ. And if anyone ever asks you, what is the book of Revelation about? The book of Revelation is not about seven spirits coming out of three green frogs. I know that that finds itself in there. And there are many symbolisms and there, there are many um, analogies and metaphors there. But in, in short, the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is the revelation, not of John... The book of Revelation, some of the students got that wrong on their quiz. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you want more of him, he may send you to Patmos. If you want him to reveal himself more deeply, he may need to put you in prison. Because without prison, there is no revelation. But if he can get you on an island where you may feel lonely and confused, it's in the middle of that lonely confusion that he can reveal himself in a way that you have never known him. You need to get what you're supposed to get on your island of Patmos. Because if you don't get it, you're gonna stay there for the next 20 years. But if you'll make up your mind, I'm gonna get the revelation that he needs me to get while I'm in prison. Can I get some help in this house? Somebody needs to come to church tonight and recognize if he's got you locked up, it's because he wants to reveal a key to death and hell. And so God will put you on Patmos so that he can give you a revelation and a deeper knowledge of who he is. Sometimes God allows us to be banished on an island called lonely and confused, to reveal more. Of who he is. The next slide will take somewhat of an aerial view, or perhaps a, a thirty-thousand-foot view, and so we will zoom out. We will take a look at the map, and and the, the the yellow highlights are the seven churches, or the location of the seven churches of the Book of Revelation that are located in Asia Minor. And so then that little red circle you see is the Isle or the island of Patmos. Nobody wants to be banished to Patmos. And then if you look a little bit to the left, you're going to see Corinth. You're going to see Athens. If you look a little bit to the right, you're going to see Galatia, Cappadocia, and and many of the areas in in which um, Paul traveled. And as you read the Bible, um, this is where it was actually taking place. And so you see here, you see Pergamum or Pergamus. And you see Thyatira, Sardis, Smyrna, Ephesus, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. You see them, but then the the way that God spoke to John about these seven churches is he had to put him on an island. He had to put him in a place that he could give him revelation. Patmos was a volcanic island composed of largely rocky and treeless Landscape. You weren't going there for a family vacation. It was an unwanted island to which the Apostle John was imprisoned. But it's also the place where he received and he wrote the book of Revelation. The island is about 10 miles long, 6 miles wide, lies off of the southwest coast of Asia Minor, which would be our modern-day Turkey. Because of its desolate and barren nature, Patmos was used by the Roman government as a place to banish criminals. They felt that John and all Christians were criminals. And so they were forced to hard labor in the mines and the queries of the inland. And the Christians were regarded as criminals by the Roman emperor Domitian, who ruled from A.D. 81 to 96, died when he was 45 years of age one of the reasons that he did not like christians is because unlike nero which nero nero was was a battering ram nero would set christians on fire man he would he would put uh, tar all over them. They didn't have electricity so the only way to light up the party was to dip the Christians in tar set them on fire and they became human torches. And that was bad enough. That was bad enough. Uh, not only would Nero do that, Nero would, would also, um, he would put them, he would starve lions and then he he would encase them and tie them up and then turn the lions loose and they would devour the Christians. I mean it was fun being a Christian during that day. Man, it was cool to be apostolic. It was all about going to a general conference and singing on the platform and all that good stuff no it wasn't you found out real quick whether you really wanted to be apostolic or not i wonder in the 21st century do we really want to be apostolic i mean don't get your feelings hurt because you don't get picked to sing a song don't don't get your feelings hurt when you got to go through a little trial and persecution amen the first the first century apostolics took it as a as a pleasure and a blessing to suffer for the name of jesus and we are quickly approaching that place where we're, it may not be that you suffer physically, but you are going to be persecuted on your job. You are going to be discriminated against and you will be persecuted somewhere. There's got to be a praise in our heart somewhere. We've got to lift him high. Amen. Church becomes a refuge. You're not going to find support out there. We need the church to be that place of a supporting refuge where we can lift up the name of the Lord. And so, if Nero were not bad enough, uh, this Domitian who followed Nero, he, he actually called himself Lord and God, Lord and God. And he demanded that everyone, even Christians, would bow down and call him Lord and God. One of the reasons that the Christians were being persecuted, and, and one of the reasons that John, was banished on the Isle of Patmos is because he would not bow and call Domitian Lord and God. And so he's wrestling with this and he's going through this. Should I be tolerant? Should I be politically correct? Should I compromise a little bit? And then this holy boldness comes over him and he says to himself, absolutely not. And because he refused to be tolerant and he refused to compromise, he was cast onto the Isle of Patmos. Now we all know a little bit about Patmos and what that is. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, we hear him and we listen to what he says. I, John, both your brother and companion in what? In tribulation, not seven years of tribulation, it had not begun, has not begun, and that's not what he was talking about, and, and so he says, your brother, companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos. Why? Two reasons. What does it say? For the word of God, and for what? The testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, in that day, the testimony of Jesus Christ was, you either bow and you call me Lord and God. If you don't, you're going to be banished. And he was saying, absolutely not. I'll be a martyr for the only Lord and only God, which is Jesus Christ. We're going to have to be tested if we're going to get a testimony. There is no other God outside of Jesus Christ. And we must not renounce who he is. He's the only Lord, he's the only God. He's creator, he's redeemer, he's regenerator. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. In that day shall there be one God and his name shall be one. And there's only one name. And that one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved is the name of Jesus, yes. We may have to go to a personal Patmos for the testimony of Jesus, but we must not renounce this one God message. The only way to be baptized is in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. That may get you thrown on Patmos. Are you still apostolic? That may get you thrown into prison one day. Are you still going to preach the truth? That may get you ostracized by your family members. Are you going to compromise the message when your family members castigate you? I'm not compromising. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So what we're going to do is take a look at what John heard, what John saw, and what John did. All of this is found in Revelation chapter 1. What he he heard, what he saw, and what he did. If you're not willing to act upon what you hear and see, then probably it's been a long time since you've had any fresh revelation from the Lord. Because if he gives us revelation, it has divine purpose behind it. If we fail to act on that purpose, then the revelation dies in inactivity. And if it dies in inactivity, if we hadn't done anything with the revelation he gives us now, why would he give us fresh, fresh revelation over here if we didn't even do anything with the revelation he gave us five years ago? You're working with me. And, and so he'll let you hear something. He'll let you see something. But then he wants you to do something with it. And these three things are borne out. In verses 9 through 11, I'm not going to read all of them. I'll read um, Revelation 1, 10 and 11. He said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard. So the first thing he did is he heard something. I heard behind me. A loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and I am Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. To Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. John heard Jesus Christ speaking. And when the Lord starts to speak to him, it was as the sound of a trumpet. We see this same thing happen in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. He says, I was in the spirit, or I was on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard a voice say to me, the voice was like the sound of a trumpet saying to me, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. For those that believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, that is Revelation chapter 4 is the last time that the church is seen. And this is a type of the rapture right here that he comes up to see things that will be hereafter. Notice he hears the sound of a trumpet in Revelation 1. Notice he hears the sound of a trumpet in Revelation chapter 4. Notice when the rapture of the church happens, what is the first thing they hear or what we will hear? For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. Could it be, not saying that it is, but could it be that that trumpet is the voice of Jesus Christ? And at the mere voice of the Lord, it said that his voice will be like a sword that will defeat the Antichrist and will defeat his enemies. Can I tell you something right now? All it takes is one word from God to defeat the enemy. All it takes is for you to get one word on a Wednesday night. All it takes is for you and your weary body. All it takes is for you and your lonely, confused state on Patmos to get one word from the Lord and the devil's going to be defeated. I'm just telling you right now, all of the energy that it took to get to the house of God on a Wednesday night and God can speak a word and it's like a trumpet. And any time a trumpet sounded, it was a declaration that the enemy is defeated and victory is ours. You better get what you're supposed to get on Patmos. God is a God of victory. When you're in your loneliest time, when you are in your most confused time, he still has a word for you. And it has the sound of a trumpet. That means it has a quickening power. It has a forceful power. Just as his voice or just as that trumpet will sound. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. This is a catching away. This is a. It means to steal away. It means a force. A G-force. A force that will take you from one place and transport you to another. That's what's going to happen in the rapture. His voice is that powerful. His voice is that powerful. This is what he heard. After he heard these things... This trumpet-like voice he saw and verses 12 through 16, I won't read all of them, but verses 12 through 16 describe what he saw, describes what he saw after what he heard. So he saw a vision, and really this is the crux of my message tonight, and this is what I want you to get is what he saw and who you are in relation to what John saw in this very first chapter of the book of Revelation. He saw the glorified Christ where? In the center of the lampstands or in the center of the golden candlesticks. The golden candlesticks or the lampstands, same thing. New King James Version uses lampstands, the KJV uses golden candlesticks. All the same thing. Represent the seven churches. Who would receive the book of Revelation. Each of the local churches. Were supposed to be the bearers of light. In a very dark place. In the world. So that even under severe persecution and pressure. There was going to be something burning fiery bright. In the middle of those churches. But notice where he was. He wasn't on the outside. He wasn't on the periphery. He was right in the center of every single one of the golden candlesticks. Can I just tell the church in Euless right now that there's only one place that Jesus Christ needs to be in this church? It's not on the outside. It's not just on Sunday, but not Wednesday. It's not just on Wednesday, but not Sunday. It's on Friday. It's in the center of Calvary Pentecostal Church. If he was, that's what he, he said, look, John, I know you feel like you're on a lonely island, but you need to know something, even on your island, on your Patmos, you're still part of the church, and I'm in the middle of your life. You need to know I am in the middle of the golden candlestick, and he purposely positioned himself to be in the middle, so that no matter what you go through, he's in the center of it all. God, I need something no matter what kind of political pressure we're going through, if the Roman Emperor Domitian is trying to attack you, if hell is trying to attack you, Jesus said, I am in the center of your life. And if they try to touch you, they've got to mess with me. And they don't want to mess with me because all it's going to take is a word to come out of my mouth and they're going to be defeated. God, I wish I had some of you sitting on the, on the pew to help me in this place right now. Can somebody clap your hand? Don't miss what you're supposed to get on your lonely island. He's in the center of your life. He you said, I don't feel him. You don't have to feel him for him to be in the center of your life. It's not about your goosebumps, this is about his faithfulness to you. You got to hear the trumpet, you got to see him and where he is. He's right in the middle of the church. He's right in the middle of the church. He's right in the middle of the church revelation 1 12 and 13 then i turned to see the voice that spoke with me and having turned i saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of them right in the middle of them one like the son of man he chose he strategically chose to be seen right in the center of every one of those seven churches didn't mean they were perfect far from perfect thus far from perfect but he doesn't look for perfection to show up in the center of the church the church gets perfected because he's in the center of the church he didn't come in the center because we're perfect he comes in the center to make us perfect one day when we arrive there we need him he doesn't need us but we need him in the center of the church. He's not looking for us to work our way into perfection. He's looking for us to worship our way into him being in the middle of the church. We need to learn some things on our island. He may put you on an island because you haven't made him center in your life. He may put you on a lonely, confused island because you just have him on a shelf. He's just on the shelf and when you need him, you pull him off the shelf, rub on him and say, pop out, Jesus, do something for me and I'm going to put you back on the shelf. He said, oh, really? Get ready to go to your island. Get ready to go to Patmos. I'm going to have to let you go through some pain so that I can bring some power into your life. I'm going to let you go through some ruin so I can bring a revelation into your life. Don't miss what you're supposed to get. On Patmos. His vision goes further. He continues and in verse 16 he looks. He sees the seven lampstands. He sees Jesus in the center of the lampstands. And then he looks. And look at verse 16. Notice, notice, notice where the seven stars are. And he had in his right hand, not his left hand. But in his right hand, seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in strength. This was a direct jab at the Greek sun god Helios. In Greek mythology, Helios was regarded as the god of the sun. The ancient Greeks also characterized him as the personification of the sun itself. The point being behind the Greeks' religion and Greek mythology. As the sun always rose, right when everything seemed dark and at its lowest, the Greeks said Helios would bring hope and the arrival of a brand new day. And John, on the island of Patmos, in the most lonely dark time of his life says you think the Greek God Helios brings a new day let me tell you who really brings a new day we're not looking to the sun God we are looking to the creator God and his name is Jesus Christ he's like the sun shining with strength come on you don't go to mythology You don't go to philosophy. You don't go to the religions of this world. You don't go to drug addiction when you're on Patmos. You just get to see a side of Jesus you've never seen before. You get to see him put all other gods in this world at his feet. And you get to see him as a glorified, risen creator who knows how to bring a brand new day into your life. Some of you are on your island so that you can recognize God is on the throne of your life. He's in the center of the church and he will bring a brand new day. Somebody give him praise in this house. It's not the gods of this world that are gonna get you through. It is Alpha and Omega beginning and ending first and last which is, which was, which is to come the Almighty Somebody clap your hands and give him praise tonight. He's walking up and down the aisles letting you know everything is going to be all right. So when you hear something, and when you see something, and I just touched the surface of what he saw. There's much more to unpack there, but I won't on a Wednesday night. Unless y'all want to turn it into a five-week series, and Ron will just keep doing. We won't do that. It was the only reason that the Lord let him hear something, the only reason that the Lord let him see something, is because the Lord wanted him to do something. And what he did first is probably very insightful as to what each of us should do first when we truly hear him and we truly see him. John fell at his feet as dead. He was so in awe of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that he literally fainted. In the presence of the Lord, at his majesty and at his holiness. And then when he looked, Revelation 1 and 15 said, speaking of Jesus, his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And his voice was as the sound of many waters. Don't overlook it. Did you see it? Where is John? Where's John? Where's John when, this, when he's seeing this? Where? Patmos? Patmos was what? An island? Treeless? Lifeless? Where was he? That's exactly where he was. Lonely? Confused? Was he going through a furnace? Was he going through the furnace of his faith? Perhaps so. Was he questioning, will I ever get off of this island? Perhaps so. Was he questioning, will this ever stop? Perhaps so. Was he questioning, will I ever get back into the middle of the church? Perhaps so. Was he questioning his future? Perhaps so. Until he saw his feet, the feet of the Lord. How did he see them? They were like fine brass. Brass always represents judgment. And then he looked a little bit closely and more intently. And he said his feet were like as they were refined in a furnace you mean that he took my judgment brass you mean that he those feet right there that were refined through a furnace didn't die in the furnace didn't die in the valley didn't die stayed in the grave you mean they came up out of the grave and they kept on walking and through the grave and through the fire they were refined like they had been in a furnace you mean if he can come through that i can come through that don't miss what you're supposed to get on your patmos if his feet have been refined in a furnace and he made it through. Could it be that you're going through the trial of your life so that he can refine you? And when you come out, your feet are gonna be like feet that made it through the fire. You got Some of you, when you run the aisles, you gotta know that those feet have been through the fire. Some of you, when you're dancing in the Holy Ghost, you're dancing in those feet as though they have been through the furnace. He's in the middle of the church. You're in his right hand. His feet have been through your furnace. Don't miss. Don't miss it. What you're supposed to get in your personal patmos, Because if you miss it, you'll stay there. And you'll repeat first grade for 20 years. Imagine that. Big old boy sitting there with a passy in his mouth. What are you doing in pre-K? You're supposed to already be out of graduate school. Well, I just haven't passed pre-K yet. Big old boy should, dude, you should be way out of here. Don't miss what you're supposed to get at Patmos, or you're going to be a grown adult sitting in pre-K, and parents are going to say you're weird. Get out of here. My child's not going to school with you. Out. Could it be the Lord is saying, That's weird. Why are you still there when you're supposed to be over here? I don't need you in Patmos anymore. I put you there temporarily. I don't want you to park there. I don't want you to live there. I don't want you to build a condominium there. I don't want you to buy an investment property there. I don't want you to stay there. I just put you there so I could give you a revelation. I gave you a revelation of who I am. I've gone through the furnace, and the furnace that you're going through, you're not going to stay there. You're coming out of that furnace. Somebody needs to pick it up so that you can get out of Patmos. What God does, and where God is, demands a response from the church. So John sees, or John hears, John sees, and John does. He writes in a book. He falls to his feet, and then he gets up, and he starts writing. And he gives the revelation. Revelation chapters 1 through 3 are about the revelation of Jesus Christ, and then the revelation of the seven churches. Revelation chapter 4 through Revelation chapter 18 are about tribulation, the rapture of the church and tribulation and great tribulation. Revelation chapter 19, 20, 21, and 22 are about the millennial reign and our eternal state. That is the summation of the 22 chapters of the book of Revelation. When he looks, when John looks and he sees, he sees seven golden candlesticks. Important is the law first mentioned golden candlesticks were first mentioned in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 31, and their purpose was to light up the temple. They did not have the luxury of the lights being on a computer and clicking a button and hoping that they all come on the right way every service. And when they don't, you just want to go back to a little switch that you go, whoop, (laughs) makes it easy. They didn't have all that. They had lampstands. They depended on the lampstands to light up the temple. There were seven of those, which represents the seven churches, or is a type of the seven churches. And so you see that there are three there are three branches on one side, three branches on the other, but there is a center shaft that represents Jesus Christ being in the center. Of the church on these lampstands law first mentioned on these lampstands there were flowers to produce a beautiful look inside the temple but more importantly there were bowls and in these bowls they were to hold oil and in with that oil they were to produce fire and the fire was to never go out they were to always have oil flowing through the candlestick or the church's revelation or the churches so that the fire would never ever go out. They were to light up the temple. There were seven bowls and seven flowers. The Bible says in the law of first mention, you pick some things up. They were beaten. The King James Version said, take the pure gold and beat these candlesticks or this gold until you shape the candlesticks. The New King James Version says, hammer the gold. In other words, you don't even get its true purpose until it's been beaten and hammered. I'm talking about getting what you're supposed to get On Patmos. By the workmen they were elegantly shaped to beautify the temple but more than looks they were carriers of the fire. They had oil flowing through them 24-7 so that the light would never go out in the temple. They were tempered together out of one piece of gold. They did not construct them out of independent separate pieces of gold. They would take one massive piece of gold and the workman would then begin hammering on the gold. And as he hammered he would begin to shape the elegant flowers. And then he would go to the bowls. And then all of the shafts three on one side, three on the other and the seventh in the middle, they were all to carry oil. So inside of those branches or the shafts, this oil started flowing. And the only way that you knew that oil was flowing on the inside is when there was fire on the outside and they were never supposed to go out when the fire went out you knew that the lampstand didn't have any oil flowing on the inside they could say all day long I've got the oil I've got the oil I've got the oil but if you didn't see the fire they had no oil and that's not the kind of church we're looking for to be raptured that's not the kind of saint of God we need in the church We need saints of God that have the oil flowing on the inside. We need some saints of God that have oil. Well, how in the world do you know they have oil? Look at them. They're on fire. Look at them. They got what they were supposed to get on Patmos. And they didn't leave backslidden. They didn't leave quitters. They didn't leave non-committed. They left on fire. Can somebody give him praise in this house? Come on, lampstand in Euless, Texas. It's time to let the fire flow. They were tempered together out of one piece of gold, not pieced together. In Revelation chapter one, that was law first mentioned Revelation chapter one. The candlesticks are not objects of gold. They are the hearts of men and women In the seven churches who were supposed to be much like that one gold piece, totally unified together, totally unified together. He said the reason that I showed you this picture in Exodus chapter 25, it was one piece of gold. is so that when I got all the way over into Revelation chapter 1, that you would know just as it was in the Old Testament was nothing more than a shadow and a type of the substance that was to come. And so when there's the law first mentioned, there's progressive revelation that brings you along to the last mention of the term or the concept or the principle. And so the law first mentioned, progressive revelation comes along and it is supposed to culminate in the church. If there's ever been unity in the church, are you working with me right now? That's why one little issue will try to fall in the youth group and create division. Because the author of confusion, Satan, would love to tamper with God's divine purpose. That's why hell would like to drop division and discrimination and isolation and separation in the church. Because he doesn't want the fire falling. He doesn't want the oil flowing. And you can't substitute all of those things for oil and still be the church. And when you've got the oil and the fire burning, it's gonna burn some things out of the church. You can't identify with the true apostolic church if you've got those spirits and attitudes working in your life. You would be more like the Babylonian church or the prostitute church that's mentioned of in Revelation 17 that you'll just mix anything and everything, throw it together and say, let's have church. That's not what we're after. We're after the pure oil. We're after the hammered gold. Gold always represents deity. And sometimes God's got to let you be hammered so that more of him comes out of you. You better learn what you're supposed to learn on Patmos if you want out of Patmos. Revelation 1, it's the heart of men and women in the seven churches. Notice Jesus is in the center of them. All seven... Or where are they located? Where were the seven churches located? And where were the seven angels located? Mm-hmm. In his right hand. In his right hand. When John heard and John saw, he looked. He the first thing he saw were the seven lampstands. He said, "Then I saw one like to the Son of Man, and in his right hand were the angels, which was pastoral leadership and messengers." He said, "I've got the pastor." I've got the pastor's family, I've got church leadership in my right hand. He said, but not only do I have them in my right hand, I've got the golden lampstand in my right hand. I've got everything in my right hand. Right hand always represents power and authority. If you think for one minute that the devil is in control, has power and authority, he does not. He is limited and he has delegated power, but the one who has all supreme power, you and I are in his right hand. That's why, you better listen to this preacher. That's why when you attack ministry, you're attacking the right hand of God. And the right hand of God will touch you and and mess with you and let you know, don't touch that. That's my church. Don't touch her. She's my bride. That's why when this world tries to persecute you, it better be careful. You are his bride and you're in his right hand and the enemy doesn't inflict you with something like that without the right hand of God going, "Uh uh-uh, don't touch my bride. That's who I'm gonna marry at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Some of you ought to be shouting the victory right now knowing that the hand of God is protecting you. The right hand of God is on your side. said, I got you right here. I've got you right here. So the rhetorical question of the book of Isaiah is answered here. When Isaiah asked the question, it was a rhetorical question. Can a nursing mother forget her sucking child? Yea, they may forget. Yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. And thy walls are forever before me. He said, and what mother do you know that would ever walk out on a nursing child? We wouldn't even call her fit to be a mom. And he said, but there would even be some that would walk out on their nursing children. He said, but I will never leave you. I've got you right here, graven on the cross. Listen, when he went to the cross, he defeated the enemy. He put you in his right hand. And though people will forget you, people will throw you on Patmos. He'll come onto your Patmos. He'll give you a revelation and tell you, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I've got you in the middle of my hand. I've got my power. I've got my authority and I'm gonna exercise my power and I'm gonna exercise my authority in your life. You're in my right hand. Lamb stands and pastoral leadership, you're in my right hand. Whole church, you're in my right hand. You're in my right hand. We need to learn where we are. Can we clap our hands and give him praise? I know there's a lot of craziness I know there's a lot of pressure. I know there's a lot of stress going on in all of our lives, but the bottom line is we're right here in his hand. It doesn't matter what we're all going through. We're still in his authority. We're still in the middle of his power. He's in the middle of the church. Collectively, we understand the challenges, the condemnation and the criticism of each one of the seven churches, there are probably six. One, one, there wasn't really too much criticism and, and, and perhaps not even any condemnation um, of one of the seven churches. But, but here's the deal. He was in, collectively and corporately, he was in the center of every one of the churches. Individually, individually he may not be. That's why he can be so in the center of Tim and Marla's life. But he can be so far away. Charity or Jackson or Seth. He's in the center of the church. You've drawn close to him in the center of the church, but you've allowed yourself to drift from him. He didn't go anywhere. He didn't go anywhere. He's in the center of the church. You may not be in the center of the church, but Jesus is in the center of the church. The church isn't the problem. It's your drifting that becomes the problem. Can I get a little bit of help in this house? He's right where he's always been. He's in the center. It's when people drift that they feel like he's away or there's something wrong with the church. No, just get back into the center of the church. Get close to him. And you're gonna realize we all have tribulation. We all have trials. But let's stick together as one piece of gold and let the oil flow and the fire fall. Remain standing. What does Jesus do when John faints as he sees him? He said, I saw the Lord, and I couldn't handle it. I just just fell. What does he do? Revelation 1, 17 through 20 tells us what he did. John said, I fainted, and I fell out. I couldn't, couldn't, the sight was too much for me. It's the presence of God. You watch people falling out. He laid his right hand on me. There it is again, his power and authority. He said to me, don't be afraid. He touched me with his power. He touched me with his authority. and He spoke to my fears. And he said, you don't even need to fear my right hand. my right hand God in flesh on the right hand to reveal the power of God not a second person in a Trinitarian Godhead the invisible God becoming visible to exercise power and authority in human flesh John said when I couldn't even get up I was on my Patmos he put his right hand on me and he said John be afraid God it's easy for you to say you don't have the cancer in your body you don't have the trial and he said no I've already shown you my feet made it through the furnace but if that wasn't enough for you let me tell you who I am I am alpha or excuse me I am first and I am the last I am he who lives and was dead and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write these things which you have seen, the things which are and the things which shall take place after this. The mystery, Here he gives the answer. So when you run across a confusing text, keep reading. Normally it will explain itself. Because if you, if you stay on one verse and you try to create a doctrine out of that one verse because you didn't keep on reading a text out of context is a pretext and it becomes eisegesis and then you commit what's called a hermeneutical error and you go into false doctrine. Keep reading and it normally will explain itself. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, the messengers. This is leadership and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. His right hand is his power and his authority to move, remove, redirect, and eliminate what John is afraid of. And he reassures John on Patmos of his authority by stating who he is, what he did, and what he has. He said, look, You need to know who's talking to you right now on your Patmos. I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm going to tell you what I've done. I'm going to tell you what I have. I am the first and I am the last. And what I did, I was alive. I died. But I came out of what killed me. And I will never die again. And if that's not enough for you, let me go ahead and tell you what I have. I've got some keys. I've got some keys. That old dead battery in that car, you can't go anywhere. I got a brand new battery and I got some keys. And you're going to get out of here one day. You're going to get out of here one day. You're not always going to be on Patmos. You're not always going to be on Patmos. Hi, John. Saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God as a bride prepared for her husband. Whew. He said, I have the keys of Hades and death. Up to Calvary, up to Calvary, up to the resurrection. Tell me between the first and third day. Hades was the abode of where the spirits of the dead went as almost like a little compartment and they were held there. And this is played out in Luke chapter 16 when you see at least three compartments. You see heaven, you see paradise, you see hell. You see this great gulf fixed. But when he died on Calvary and he went into the grave, he went into that compartment and he led captivity Hades led captivity captive, where he now, before then, people would go into this place of the abode when they died. But after the resurrection, and I read it today in the hearing of those that were at Sister Shepherd's funeral, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That happened when he was resurrected as the first fruit of the resurrection, and now we, which are alive and remain are gonna be caught up, we follow the first fruits. And so now there's no more place of the abode, it is immediately into the presence of the Lord. He's got the keys. There's no more penalty box. There's no more holding place. Can we clap our hands to the Lord? He unlocked some doors and he opened it up and said, Come on! Come on! I'm first and last. I'm Alpha Omega. I'm beginning and ending. That's what he said. That's what he said to Judy Shepherd. That's what he said to Judy Shepherd. So here's my message in about two sentences. This is what the Lord spoke to me today to tell you. You, this is from the Lord. You are in my right hand. I am in the center of your life. I have creative power as first, last, Alpha Omega. There is nothing that you will go through that I have not already been through and I came out of. And there is no domain that you will go into that I do not possess the keys to get you out. Can we lift our hands and worship the Lord? Can we lift our hands and worship the Lord? Can we lift our hands and worship the Lord? Can we lift our hands and worship the Lord? God, give us revelation of who you are, more of who you are. If you're here tonight and you feel like busting out of that pew, you're welcome to get out of that pew and come to this altar right now. You know that you don't have to have a green light for that. There's always a green light.
1: sotololalamayata. <laughs> In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, yes,
0: yes, if you find yourself on your personal Patmos, lift your hands high, worship him for who he is, what he's done, what he can do for you. Jesus, we worship you tonight. Unlock doors in this house, Lord. Unlock doors in this house, Lord. Open doors in this house for your people, O oh God. In
1: the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, Kalamayato. Kalalamayato. Shatala
0: He's going to bring you through. Refined in a furnace. And you're going to come out better. Like pure gold. And oil is going to flow through your life and your ministry. Beaten and hammered but in divine purpose to be repositioned for his will
1: yes go ahead hallelujah i love you lord i love you lord I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord.
0: Why are you afraid to cry out to him? You're feeling it on the inside. What's stopping you right now? What's choking you right now? What's trying to stop the oil from flowing? What is that? Identify that and put it in its place. Don't be controlled by that. Don't let that control you. You're in his right hand. You have power and authority.
1: Hallelujah. Yalada bayando. Olorada mokobo tabaha. Alamo yondo yando yalabasa. Shalada bacaba. Alada bocondo. Riama Ramosha mosha la rabokobo Shalala la bokobo Otala nana mokobia Tala la In the name of the Lord In the name of the Lord Tala sha tala baha Shalala Yama la rabaya tala rabaka rabashanda lava. Holy God, have your way. Holy God, have your way. Mm. Mm.
0: scripture teaches us to pray for an interpretation some of you that have been asking the Lord to use you in the gifts of the spirit some of you that have been asking the Lord to use you in different ways if God moves on you let him use you let him use you in this way if there's a tongue that comes forth there's always an interpretation that we need to pray for Oftentimes, humanity is afraid to step out and interpret because when you interpret in English, there's an understanding. It's easier. And there's no understanding. Trust God and be confident that he will use you. And when you sense that, give the interpretation. God wants to use you. Lord, together, and lift up our voices to him, <clears throat> give him praise tonight for his faithfulness, his trustworthiness, and his goodness. Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. understandably we all have personal Patmoses that we go through. Not just once. If you've been in the church any length of time, we'll go through them frequently. Each time there's divine purpose behind it. A divine purpose is to reveal something about his character and his nature that we did not know prior to going through the trial. So oftentimes we pray due to pain because pain seeks relief, God, get me out of this. Perhaps more importantly and more strategically, we should be praying together, Lord, reveal to me part of who you are that I've never known before so that I know how to walk in a dimension of your nature and character that I've never been introduced to because I've never gone through something like this before. And as we begin to pray that way, God will show himself to us in a way that perhaps we've never seen him before. He'll force us to a different angle. He's a mighty God. He's in the center of the church. He has us in his right hand. And I've got a feeling that everything is going to be all right.
1: i got a feeling everything is going to be all right.
0: Woo! My! It's going to be all right. We're not always going to be on that crazy island. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. I said it's going to be all right. Yes. Yes. You'd like to stand tonight. Thank you so much being here on Wednesday night Bible study. For those of you that at the tail end were wondering about Hades, Gehenna, Sheol, and you were asking questions to figure out was there really a compartment and did that really there's going to be a lesson that I will teach because the King James Version uses the word hell, Old Testament, New Testament, and the English term hell in the Old Testament, Sheol, New Testament, Hades, or also Gehenna. So there are three, at least three English terms for that one word in our English, hell. What are those? What do they mean? What are they in relationship to heaven and paradise? And what was the great gulf that was fixed? I'll explain all of that to you in the future. Lord, we love you. We give you praise. And we thank you so much for your goodness and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to learn more or simply stay connected with the church, podcast, and upcoming events, you can visit us at calvaryus.org or on social media, Facebook, and
1: Instagram at Calvary Pentecostal Church.